Welcome to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. I'm your host, Laura Rotford, a physiotherapist, Pilates instructor, and fellow hippie. We're here to talk all things hip dysplasia, to build a community, to support and guide each other through the ups and the downs. If you like the podcast, please share it and rate it. It does help others to find it too. And if you have any feedback or questions, they're always welcome. Email me at laura at helpforhipdysplasia.com. That's it for now. Let's get started with the show. Welcome everybody to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. Today we are joined by Kelly Sesti from over in Australia. Hi Kelly. Hello, thank you for having me. You're so, so welcome. It's great to be able to have you on and chat about your story. Now, I understand from the brief messaging that we've been doing via social media, the, you, this is a really passionate subject for you, something that's quite strongly affected your family um, and probably not even just in a physical way in a mental struggle um, with the battle that you've been through. So I would really love to just let you run with it. Please tell us a little bit about your story. Um, yeah, firstly, definitely um, with the emotional side, uh, that's one of the biggest reasons why I'm so passionate about hip dysplasia and really work hard to get my voice heard because um, it's very, hip dysplasia is very prone in my family um, and all females, which is um, not unusual. But when I was pregnant in 2016 with my first baby, um, we didn't know if it was a boy or girl. And just throughout the pregnancy, it was something always in the back of my mind um, that I was worried about, never said it to my husband, my family, nothing. And when my baby was born, she was born at 37 weeks. She was 2.6 kilos. So she was quite little. Um, and I said to the pediatrician, he stood at the end of my bed. She wasn't even 24 hours old. And I said to him, I need you to double check her hips. And he said to me, why? And I said, we have hip dysplasia in my family and just, you know, my gut instinct. And he stood, and I'll never forget it. He stood there, very tall man, dark hair, well built and said to me, you're overprotective first time mum. Don't worry about it. And that drove my mama bear instincts wild. Um, even though I'd been a mum for, you know, in the flesh for less than 24 hours, I knew something was wrong. Um, anyway, I, he left the room. He came back the next day. I said it again and he did do the manual check. Sorry, I don't know the professional name for the manual hip check. Um, and he tested her hips and said, they're fine. You need to stop worrying about it. I went home and my daughter, Zoe, her leg just hung. Her leg didn't fit in clothing properly. It just didn't look right in photographs. You know, I'd look at her, you know, you'd flick through as we all do at our photos. And I just used to think something's just not right. Anyway, she had one leg longer than the other. So she had the, all the signs there. And I actually took her to four pediatricians. Um, she saw in Australia, I don't know if it's the same in other parts of the world, but in Australia, we see um, nurses when the baby's first born, they come to our home and do a welfare check and stuff like that. And I mentioned it and we saw two nurses, four pediatricians and one GP. And in Australia, um, our healthcare, 
you know, we do have, it is subsidized partly by the government, but it cost me thousands of dollars seeing multiple different doctors. We spent close to $10,000 and in five months, um, yeah, I was, I went back to work actually and, um, you know, to get money as we all do. And I went to one last doctor and he put the ultrasound machine on her tiny little frame at five months old and said, she doesn't just have hip dysplasia. She's got severe hip dysplasia. And in within, I went, my husband wasn't there. My husband was at work. He does night shift. And I called him and when, within 24 hours, we were at uh, Westmead Children's Hospital, which is a large, phenomenal public hospital in Sydney. And she was operated on. Um, so she had a, a closed reduction done on her hips and she was placed in a, a spiker cast for three months. Um, when I heard the news, I was actually relieved because I thought someone's finally listening to me mm-hmm. you know I felt like we're gonna sort it out I actually said that to my daughter on the table I said we're, we're gonna sort it out now and I went into I'm a you know flight or fight I fight and I just went into logistics mode and I got the car seat because she didn't fit in her original car seat I got a different pram I went and got the swaddle sleeping bags that she would fit in Um, I got new clothing I had an amazing mother's group at the time that I'm still in touch with and they rallied around and got us some beautiful dresses so Zoe was in the spiker cast in summer which was a really hot summer here but she could still have a light summer dress over the spiker cast to cover it because touching on the emotional side, it was really hard. It was hard to see my daughter look different to other babies. It was hard when I'd go to do the groceries, people would make comments of, did you drop her or why does she have that? Are you kidding? No, no. Oh, um, and, you know, as a first time mum, you also feel like, am I doing it right? I don't know what I'm doing. You know, you second guess everything, even as a second time mum now, I still don't do that. But, you know, when you're in, um, you know, Coles, our grocery store in Sydney, you know, you get sort of taken back. So I did used to cover her up a lot. Um, but, you know, we did the spiker cast and we got, we got through it. As I said, it was a really hot summer and we had a few hiccups along the way, but, she went, she came out of that. We took her back to Westmead. She had the hip, the spiker cast taken off. And I actually sobbed and sobbed and sobbed like a baby because when the hip, when it came off, I got to cuddle my baby again. I got to feel her skin against mine. And if Zoe, you know, was diagnosed at birth, I have no doubt that it would have been hard. But I think that fight of that five months of no one listening to me made it a lot harder. So can I, can I ask during that five months when you were seeing all these multiple different doctors and nurses and trying Mm. to have your voice heard, do you mind talking a little bit how that made you feel? Mm. Um, I was not in a good place at all. Um, I, I really struggled 
Firstly, I was taken back by motherly instinct. I was taken back by, I guess when you're pregnant, there's all these things that no one tells you when you're about to have a baby. And one of them is motherly instinct. It's just amazing that when a baby is born and it's placed in your arms, you're that you're so connected. And I just constantly, you know, was in tune with her. And I felt like even my husband, he, you know, was so supportive of me wanting to get help, but he would, you know, also be reassuring me saying, you know, it's okay. We have seen doctors, blah, blah. And I kept saying, no, there's still something not right, you know? And my mum and dad, um, we live, you know, one street away. They're a big part of our life and they were the same. They were like, you know, Kel, you've got to, you've got to, she's okay. She's healthy. And I just kept saying she wasn't rolling. She was showing no interest. And she also um, has, has hypermobility. So um, low muscle tone. So, you know, her, she was very flexible and stuff like that. And um, my auntie gave birth to my cousin in 1993 and her baby was born with hip dysplasia. And she was put in, in 1993, in a pavlik harness, which is still used very commonly today. And I went out and chatted to her and I just said, you know, there's something not right. And she said to me, you know, you need to keep fighting because if this doesn't get picked up, it's going to have ramifications down the track. And um, I guess it all just came back to, you know, all I, every single day, all I would focus on was, who I could contact next, who I could try next, who was going to listen to me. And a lot of that did actually come down to social media. You know, I joined hip dysplasia groups on Facebook. I did a lot of research and I actually even went back to my obstetrician and just said, you know, who can I see next? And he is the one that put me in touch with my current pediatrician who diagnosed us. Um, So, you know, that's another reason why I am really trying to talk about it more is because I know how hard it is for mums to look at their baby and see them in a harness or see them in a spiker cast because Zoe came out of the spiker cast and went into a Dennis Brown brace for 18 months. So as she was supposed to be learning to swim and crawl and roll and all those things, she wasn't. Whereas all my friends babies were so it was hard when we'd all meet up and my baby was a little bit more behind I always felt like it was a bit in my face I guess seeing other kids um but my one of my goals and one of the reasons why when you popped up on social media to let to let people be interested in your podcast was a lot of the information and research I've done about around the world with hip dysplasia is a lot of countries are actually doing scans for each baby at birth and that's something that Australia is really far behind on um, is not only do we not scan every baby born or ultrasound every baby born a lot of the technicians that do it don't do it enough so they they are missing cases And my second daughter, uh, Lola, is now 13 weeks old. And we went to Westmead today uh, for her second hip checkup. And the good news is, is that she, at 13 weeks, is clear. She doesn't have hip dysplasia. Well, that's amazing. Um, 
It is. It's, it's, yeah, it's beautiful news. We're very happy. Um, but her story is actually the reverse. And that's where I come to, you know, us not, our, I don't feel our, our medical system's educated enough, is that she was actually told by two doctors that she has hip dysplasia. So she was told that she <laughs> had it. <laughs> and then I went to our um, orthopedic surgeon at Westmead and he scanned her at six weeks and goes, I don't know what they're talking about. She doesn't have it. <laughs> so, you know, I've had both sides of the story. And, and he said to me, he said, unfortunately, who's the person that did your ultrasound and the person that reviewed it didn't know what they were looking at correctly. So he said, going on the side of caution, bring her back at 12 weeks. Let me have a look again, because as we know, it can develop and it's in the family. And Zoe's case was quite severe. So he was, you know, really being cautious, which I appreciated. Um, And he saw her today and he's like, her hip, both hips are normal, not even borderline. So I think, you know, not only do we need to be, our babies need to be viewed more, they need to be, people need to be educated more when they're doing the manual check or when they're ultrasounding babies, they do need to be educated more on what they're looking at. Mm, I completely agree. There's um, a lot of work being done um, with a few different um, charities and organizations at the moment that are trying to consolidate knowledge um, from around the globe to try and share this information, to try and make changes to policy and education. Um, And that's something that um, me and a few of my physio colleagues are now getting involved in. We're really excited about the movements that will hopefully be happening over the next few years to really try to change from from a base level um, up. So, you know, that's one of the things that I'm quite passionate about is changing the education um, of the multidisciplinary team within the hospital. Right. So, yeah. the the doctors yes but the physios the nurses the midwives the health visitors and the social workers anybody that's involved in that baby's life right at the beginning that's going to be able to have an influence and a say um to be able to pick these things up just to get that education um you know even when people are going to uni to change you know that that's one of the things that i'd like to to work on anyway is making that change from an educational level yeah um, i've got goosebumps you just listing all those people because <laughs> All the, you know, all those people, all those professionals are just, they play such a vital part in a baby's life and, you know, a parent's life. Um, and as you said, you know, straight from university, that's where it needs to start. And I think also the mindset needs to change. Um, I did some volunteer work with Healthy Hips Australia, who is um, started off by a mum in Western Australia And she's actually an occupational therapist and her baby, first baby was diagnosed with hip dysplasia. And, you know, she's a a stay-at-home mum now, but she started this charity and she's building it as much as she can. And other mums like myself donate our time to help her, but also, you know, she runs fundraisers that we assist with and stuff like that. And I think with COVID, um, it has taken a hit. It definitely has slowed down with, I'm sure every charity is feeling that, but I did, um, I worked at a pregnancy convention with her and again, you know, I was just so excited. I one love people and love talking, but two, I am so passionate about hip dysplasia and 
I went there and I was, you know, lots of people were coming to our table and we were talking and the amount of gorgeous pregnant women that were stopping and chatting to us and they had these beautiful baby bumps and buying all these beautiful clothes and all I would say you know seven out of ten would look at me with a look on their face as if to say that won't happen to me that won't happen to my baby and we all think that and we all hope that it won't but again the education needs to start from the beginning And that's why, you know, Sarah from Healthy Hips did get a table there because she wanted to get the word out that there is help out there. But also we were educating mums on safe baby wearing and safe swaddling and what products um, are endorsed by the Hip Institute, the International Hip Institution and what isn't. Um, And I, you know, I'll never forget some of the faces of the ladies, you know, And I would show them photos of Zoe and they just sort of would look and they'd say to me, oh, I do know what you're talking about. My mum's friend's baby had double nappies, you know, back in the 80s. And I'm like, and I'd be like, yeah, that's exactly right. But they don't use that method anymore. You know, if you do have any worries, you know, these are the steps. And in Australia, um, one thing that, you know, is encouraged but not always practiced is to be progressively checked until the baby's five because, again, it can develop later down the track. And even some of my girlfriends have said to me, well, if it's not there, it's not there. And I said, well, there are kids that start, you know, walking with a limp and stuff like that. So, again, I think, you know, there's just not enough education, not just in the medical system but us as parents every single day. I mean, I I think it's scary enough for a first time mum who hasn't had a baby before. There's so much to learn. I mean, I'm I'm in a in a health profession, being a physiotherapist, and my sister is about to give birth. She's a she's a week past yeah, her due wow. date today, so she's she's due at any time now. And um, obviously, there's hip dysplasia in in my family, and my sister had it. Um, but she was picked up at birth, thankfully, because she's my younger sister. So they scanned her, you know absolutely because you know her old sister had had it um and now she doesn't have any issues with it at all which is amazing but amazing yeah you know she's learned so much going through pregnancy about you know birth and development and what's happening to your body and I've learned so much that I had no idea about from my sister going through this experience and you just yeah having that really quite overwhelming experience of learning all of these different things about your body and your baby's body and then Mm. someone dropping into the conversation oh well how about hip dysplasia and yeah if you've got no idea of what that is or the implications or other people's experiences I can imagine that could be quite overwhelming so did you having had a family that had some experience with it did you feel Mm. like it was quite overwhelming or you know you you were ready and you knew what to do about it yeah I was ready I was ready to rock and roll and I think that was part of my frustration as well was I knew that with anything we're all educated that intervent early intervention is the key no matter what happens with our body, the quicker we get hold of it, the better the outcome is. And that's what I was frustrated with because when we went to our pediatrician who did diagnose Zoe at five months, 
he said to me, you know, he outlined the different treatments and one of them he mentioned was traction, which isn't used heavily in Australia anymore and hasn't for a long time. But traction, for those that don't are listening and don't know what it is, is when the baby is placed in one position on their back in hospital, usually for eight to 10 weeks, they're uh, from their hip, um, their legs are held upright in a brace so it's like their feet are facing the ceiling and I just thought you know that is that is actually still used in America I believe um and I just thought we if we can avoid operations general anesthetic traction spiker casting by scanning every single baby why aren't we doing it because again it just comes back to that education and early intervention but another thing I wanted to touch on was every parent watches their children go through milestones and whether or not that's your baby's first smile or your baby learning to roll or eventually you know they learn to walk one thing I did learn is that hip dysplasia children they work that little bit extra harder to get to that milestone and every milestone for every parent is so special but you know when they push themselves that bit harder to roll in their brace or crawl in their brace and my daughter did all of the above stood in her brace tried to walk in it <laughs> she, you know they 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 are unbelievable they just they don't let anything anything stop them and I think part of that is you know they don't know any different Zoe was Zoe was stuck in one in the froggy position from five months old until a 19 months old so for her that was normal but one, you know, for parents out there that are just starting their journey or about to start, it does get better as long as you get the help you need. And once you see all those milestones tick over, you know, I think I cried many, many tears, happy tears seeing each milestone and my husband as well, because we thought, you know, again, it came back to that mental state of my baby is normal. My baby is going to be okay. And you know, it's just, it makes it that more, that much more special that they have to work, but they keep fighting. Do you think it helps to make them a more determined and strong-minded character? Yeah. So <laughs> Zoe, is, Zoe is now three and a half. She goes to daycare um, three days a week. My, my husband and I work. She goes to daycare three days a week. She was climbing at daycare the other day fell backwards two teachers fell backwards off a climbing 1.5 meters high probably two teachers rushed to her aid as they would and she dusted herself off and said I'm okay and the (laughs) teachers you know were sort of like looking at each other like don't make a big deal and when I got there I said nothing phases her she's such a strong kid immunizations don't phase her falling over doesn't phase her doctor's visits don't phase her dentist visits because she's been poked and prodded from a young age and she's she's strong she's determined it just it it really does it does it does make them make them stronger I'm sure that's so so reassuring for other people out there that are going to be going through this experience to hear you know it's such a wonderful outcome from this yeah um so that that's sort of Zoe's story getting to where you are now. And you said, obviously, your little one doesn't have um, any mm-hmm. signs 
or symptoms at the moment, which like I said, is absolutely incredible. Um, given what you said on the sort of checks up to five years, do you think you'll ask for her to be rescanned again? Absolutely. Yeah. So today we, when we were at Westmead, she was, had an ultrasound. She's three months old. She had an ultrasound today. Um, and if they were going to view her um, and do a physical check, I was going to push for an ultrasound. I wasn't going to take no for an answer. And our specialist uh, orthopedic surgeon said today, um, bring her back at six months old. We'll ultrasound her again. And then at one, she'll have an X-ray. So in Australia, that's that's quite standard that they go from the ultrasound to X-ray at 12 months old. Um, and from there, given that it's all clear, I he will check her again at three and then at five. That's amazing that they have a system in place in Australia. I don't know whether that's the same um, amongst all countries. I would love to hope that it is. Um, unfortunately, I, I don't know that that's commonplace um, in, in all countries around the world. But like I said, that's definitely something for us to strive towards if it's not. Um, having that in place, like, like I said, it must be so reassuring for people to know that they are going to be rechecked. Um, like you said, it can be a developmental thing. And, you know, there are people that I know that have absolutely no signs or symptoms until they're in their, you know, young adults, late twenties, early thirties, and then things start to become apparent that had no signs of at birth. So I think if you know that you're on it and you can have those checks up to five, at least you know that you've done everything that you possibly can from your end from being a mum to know that you've given your baby the best start to know that you've checked them and given every bit of reassurance now I want to ask you like you said you're quite confident in yourself you know you're quite vocal with you know your voice you have a voice you like to fight for your children if there were some you know parents out there that were perhaps slightly more timid or shy um do you have any tips for things that you could advise them you know particular words or phrases or conversations that you've had that have really helped you fight your case absolutely uh one of the things that I am very proud of is that I am um very I am confident and I do you know I, I am advocate for my children which all mums and dads are but join Facebook groups, join social media groups. There's so many out there all over the world. I'm in a hip dysplasia group that's on Facebook all over the world. And many, many times mums will post photos or questions and hundreds of mums will comment back with advice. And I think if you are unsure or you're not sure what step to take next, reach out, ask for help and write yourself a list. Once we get in front of a doctor or a physiotherapist or anyone with a medical profession, it can be intimidating, not only because of their medical experience, but also in Australia, they're very pushed for time. So I always feel like I have to get all my questions out quickly before the next person comes in. And today, for example, Zoe Lola um, was one of four patients seen at the same time by one doctor. So I had to make sure that I had my questions ready. And when I say she was one of four seen by one doctor, he has like a revolving door. So Lola was in one room, the next room had another baby and so forth. And he walks in and 
just goes around in a circle. He doesn't stop. He sees 60 babies a day in a public hospital. So he wasn't even with me for three minutes and I waited two hours to see him. So have your, have your list ready. Um, have your support person with you. If that is your husband, your wife, your girlfriend, your mom, um, your nanny, whoever that support person is, take them along. At the moment in Australia, COVID's not allowing that. So I went by myself um, and the waiting room was full of mums. You know, we're all there together. But, you know, there is that opportunity also to FaceTime in your support person while you're in the appointment. FaceTime your husband in. idea, yeah. Get them in, Skype, Zoom, whatever you can to have that support and give you that confidence because if, you're, if your hospital is like mine and you get three minutes, you don't want to walk out, have waited two hours and go, oh, my God, I forgot to ask if she's allowed to go on a trampoline or a jumping castle or something like that, you know. And it's just have confidence in yourself. No one knows your baby like you. No one knows your child like you. And I know I've, I've touched on it already with that motherly in that motherly instinct. And my husband, you know, he, he says time and time again, even now as always three and a half, he says, I'll listen to you. You're, you're never wrong. You, you always know what's wrong with the girls. And the funny thing is when Lola, our second born was in my tummy, um, I said to my husband, I really don't believe we're going to have hip problems this time. And of course I could have been wrong, but I just really felt in my gut that we weren't going to have any problems. So when she was scanned and we were told that she had hip dysplasia, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe it. I wasn't prepared for that. And lucky enough, you know, for us, she is clear, but no one knows your baby like you. And I think that's so important for anyone having, you know, sleep deprivation makes us less confident and makes us forget things and anything like that, you know, just, just back yourself a hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. I can't, I can't agree with you more. There's, there's so many people that I've spoken to that have used similar words to you, like, you know, you're an obsessive mother or you're paranoid or, you know, my mum tells this story to me all the time. You know, she was told exactly the same thing. You know, you're, you're being an obsessive mother because she, mm. you know, like you, you know, was quite vocal. And she was like, I'm not letting this go. There is something wrong with my baby. Sort it out. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, after a very long time, I was 18 months um, when I was diagnosed. Mm. She had this battle for um, you know a, a fair bit of time. Um, got quite frustrated by that point. Um, but yeah, just back yourself exactly like you said to have the confidence. Yeah. In yourself. I didn't know that about the three minute consultations with a with a two hour. Yeah. So mm. I, I think that's that's been brilliant that you've actually highlighted the amount of time that you get because again people can be prepared go in with their notes and just say these are all my concerns whatever time mm-hmm. you've got I want these things you know prioritized to answer so that's that's really cool to know um yeah if if you're on the facebook groups you know ask other mothers that are in your or parents that are in your area what is the wait time like what is the you know consultation time like so that you can have an idea in your area or in your hospital what what that's going to be like so that's mm. really really cool advice so thank you so mm. much. um and just another thing sorry while i'm touching on that i 
I can get quite anxious, you know, before these appointments. And I, you know, would say 99% of parents would. It does, it is nerve wracking. And even that split second today when he was about to ultrasound Lola's hips and put the, put the machine on her leg, you know, I had butterflies in my tummy, but I still had my list with me that when I did go weak at the knees of nerves, I could reflect back to that. And another thing that helped me with the Facebook group was I reached out and said to mums that are visiting Westmead Hospital at the moment, am I allowed to take my husband or is it one patient only? And the mums came back to me and said, it's one patient only, but these are the tips that we give you. So I went in there knowing, okay, I'm going to be alone. This is what the girls suggest. This is what I can do to make it easier. So it did really, even though I was there waiting for two hours and I was seen for three minutes, it was really smooth. And I think that really helps us parents that do get nervous. Absolutely. You've mentioned these Facebook groups now a few times. I'm dying to know which ones um, <laughs> you use that have been a really great support group. Do you have the names of them? Um, to yep. Have? yep. Let me just, so one of them that I'm on is um, Healthy Hips Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that is international is called hip dysplasia in babies. Um, and then in brackets, clicky hips. And that one has close to 12,000 members. So really, really good feedback with that one. I'm actually Um, not on that one. I'm on the healthy hips Australia and the hips dysplasia in babies, um, clicky hips one I've not heard of. So that's brilliant. I'll go and find that one after this. And the other one I'm on, which is for my state, which I find really helpful because most um, babies seen in my state in New South Wales and Australia are seen at Westmead Children's Hospital because it's such a big facility. So that one's called DDH Support, New South Wales and ACT. Um, And, you know, through that, I've met mums at the hospital and we've linked up through the Facebook group and we're now friends. So we've got, we've got that bond together that we know what each other have been through and we know how helpful it is to be there for each other when these appointments roll around and stuff like that. It's invaluable, isn't it? You can't, you can't match that kind of level of support with anybody that doesn't quite have that understanding and that experience of having a child. Like you said, that you can't cuddle close to your chest and get that, you know, skin contact with because they're in a harness. You can't explain that to somebody who hasn't been through that experience. So that level of understanding um, from the other parents that have been through that same situation must be completely invaluable. Yes, absolutely. Um, There was something else that you mentioned that I just wanted to come back and touch on um, briefly. So different countries have got sort of different brands um, of clothing and different um, bits and pieces that are recommended by the IHDI. Um, In the UK, one of our sort of biggest brand um, clothing stores that do stuff specifically for dysplasia is Marks and Spencers. So have you got a few um, brands that you can sort of throw out there that might be useful for people um, in Australia or any others around the world that you're aware of? Yes. So the one, there's two companies I know that have hip uh, healthy swaddles and when I say that there's a lot of hip healthy sleeping bags and swaddles 
but these ones actually fit around braces. So there's a company called Starfish Babes. Oh, I've um, heard of them. They're brilliant. Yeah, that is also a um, a mother of a hip dysplasia baby. So she's a talented sewer and she makes bags that are suit around not only spiker casts and braces, but also for babies with club feet. Um, so she caters for all different things. And one thing I'll say is that given that she has been there, done that, again, she has made beautiful beautiful covers and beautiful sleeping bags that are a dream for our babies to wear. You know, they weren't boring. They were nice and colourful. Zoe had a unicorn bag, you know, all these things that, again, make you feel normal. Uh, which I think is really important. And the other brand is Love to Dream. So they're uh, really popular in Australia and they, I would, you know, a lot of mums use their bags, but when they brought out the hip dysplasia bags, they were flying off the shelves because they they have a, a comfortable position for the baby to lay and a wide area at the bottom for the brace to fit in. Now, clothing no there's no brands that I'm aware of unfortunately in Australia that cater for the clothing and that was something that I found really difficult because I love to dress my girls up and when Zoe was you know in particular hip dysplasia the cast and the brace it wasn't always easy but I stuck to dresses and that sort of worked as best as I could um, the Starfish Babes also make covers for the Pavlik harness, so it keeps them clean. You know, with babies, it's they're so unpredictable. Poos, vomit, all that <laughs> kind of stuff. And, you know, with the Pavlik harness, they're usually on for 24 hours a day and you can't even bath your baby. So to have that option of having a, a cover that you can take off and wash and put back on, again, is such a dream for parents because – we don't want our baby to be smelly and stinky and dirty. So again, you know, that's designed by a mum who's been there, done that and knew how to run with it. That's incredible. And um, so just um, to reiterate that, that was Starfish, Starfish Babes and Love to Dream. Yes. Um, so yeah, you can have a look on there. I'm sure they have social media and websites and it's these, I know Starfish Babes do. Um, but yes. you'll go and find Love to Dream as well. Um, you also did mention that you do a bit of charity work um, and volunteer with Healthy Hips Australia. So mm-hmm. Healthy Hips Australia have, you know, done amazingly. They're definitely globally recognised um, as a charity. I think anybody in the hip dysplasia community has heard of Healthy Hips Australia. Um, so what kind of work do you do for them? And is there anything that any other listeners can do to get involved to help raise funds? Um, so I was where I was helping out uh, as much as I could before COVID um, hit Australia. But what I did do was the convention. So the pregnancy and newborn convention, which was held in Sydney. Um, and I worked at the stand with Sarah, who is the founder of Healthy Hips Australia. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, she's an occupational therapist. So she had a world of knowledge to give me, to make sure I was giving, you know, mums that came to the stand the right information. Um, And the other, the other thing that I did with Healthy Hips was to, we, she, uh, she put out an event that you could sell 
uh, kid safe knives um, and they were 12 Australian dollars at the time each and every, you know, we sold as much as we could and I rallied around. I did Facebook posts. I went to my daycare. I went to my work and sold. I think I ended up selling, I can't remember exactly, quite quite a lot of knives. Um, and all of that goes to supporting the charity to keep running because Sarah donates her time to run that. And she was traveling all over Australia to go and meet different people. And she was going to from, you know, Western Australia, she was flying to Sydney across the country to meet with doctors and nurses at Westmead Kids Hospital and stuff like that. So none of it comes free. None of it's cheap. So anything that we can all do to get behind these charities help. And I know Starfish Babes has done a lot of charity work with Healthy Hips Australia as well. There's been, they've sold um, different items like socks and stuff like that. So Anything that we can do to help, I think, is important. So raising awareness and just maybe if you're listening to this, go and find um, those companies on social media, follow them, have a look out, keep an eye out for anything that they're doing um, to help raise awareness or um, raise funds for further research or product development or whatever it is that's going to be able to help and support um, other parents or other people going through their their life with hip dysplasia I mean yeah um in in May in Australia they run healthy hip week um, and it was heavy heavily seen on social media and I um, you know spoke to my husband and really wanted to see what I could do and I contacted our local newspaper for our suburb and I contacted them and said, look, this is my story. Can we, how can we work together to get something to happen? And they, they helped me write an article. They did the artwork, they did the design all for free um, and did a whole blurb on Zoe's life. And I thought, you know, if that one person in my suburb of 25,000 people where I live reads that, I've helped one person. Um, and the next one I did was I sent posters out to all the um, like various doctors in our area um, from the Healthy Hips website and it shows how to baby wear properly, what age the hips need to get checked at, lots of different facts and all of them um, took the poster, hung it up in their surgeries for everyone to see and, you know, three years on they're still they're still hanging there beautifully for everyone to see. So, again, you know, you can do things that won't cost you money um, but still reach a lot of people. Do Healthy Hips um, Australia have those posters available on their website that people could perhaps download and do the same for their doctor surgeries wherever they are in the world? Yes, they do. Amazing. Okay, well, that's definitely, again, something that people can do. Like you said, that isn't expensive. Um, it might just take a little bit of time um, to do and to print off the posters, laminate them or whatever to go up in their doctor's surgeries. But again, if you think how many people sit in that doctor's surgery that you know are just sitting, looking around for something to do while they're waiting for their appointment, that could really affect a lot of people um, in the run-up to to knowing about hip dysplasia and it making a difference in their life. So that's an absolutely incredible way to start raising awareness. That's really, really easy, like you said. So thank you so much for that tip. Mm. I'll definitely be doing the same <laughs> um, for my local doctor surgery. So thank you so much. Um, no worries. So we're coming towards the end. So we're going to start wrapping things up now. Um, mm -hmm. but I just wondered if there were any other tips or bits of advice snippets that you can think of that we haven't had um, 
time or um, facility to mention so far. So is there anything else you can give us before we wrap things up? There's nothing that I haven't touched on, but I just want to really um, run home. Please, please follow your gut. There's nothing like your gut instinct in any which way of life. And just don't give up because Laura, your mum didn't give up. I didn't give up and we got the answers. And I think that the more that we talk out, the more we're going to get heard. And I hope that with your podcast, you know, on Spotify, I hope that more and more people find them. And I hope that we can spread the word because I think it's so cool that you're in the UK and I'm in Sydney and here we are chatting and I'm going to be telling people here and you're going to tell people there. It's just there's no better way to get the word out there. So so grateful for technology these days mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, reduce that distance around the world, be able to open those channels of communication and like you said, really make that difference in spreading that yeah. awareness and sharing those stories. So thank you so, so much, Kelly, for coming on and giving up your time today to share your story and inspire other people around the world. So thank you so, so much. And um, we will definitely keep in touch. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again next week with another inspiring and incredible guest. See you soon.